Well, we continue on in our journey through the Bible. We now come to the book of Exodus. So please go ahead and open your Bibles up there. Exodus chapter 1. And this morning, we are actually going to study through two chapters. So let's go ahead and jump right on into it here. Exodus chapter 1, verse 1. Now these are the name of, names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt. Each man and his household came with Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All those who were descendants of Jacob were 70 persons, for Joseph was in Egypt already. And Joseph died, all his brothers and all that generation. So pause right here. Here we see the Bible record an end to a generation. The sons of Jacob, of course, also known as Israel, from his 12 sons would come the tribes of Israel. We will now begin to find out what happened to all the descendants of these men that are listed there, after they all died, what happened to their descendants? What was the next big thing? Well, verse 7 continues and says, But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. So the family of Israel has grown extremely large in Egypt. When we began to read about the start of this family, it was back in Genesis chapters 29 and 30. That is where we saw where Jacob now had Leah, Rachel, Bilhah, and Zilpah as wives. Okay, So it was one man with four wives, right? So from Jacob and those four women would come all of Jacob's children. The, the sons that we just read about in those first few verses there. Now, the reason that I'm bringing this up is because I, I want you to be mindful of the fact that when those five people, Jacob and his four wives, that is, when they began this family, it was 430 years prior to the time that we're now reading about here in Exodus. That was 430 years ago. Even though it wasn't that many chapters ago in the Bible from a written standpoint, the true timeline from Genesis chapter 29 to Exodus chapter 1 is 430 years has gone by. Okay, so this family has now grown from those five people to well over two million people here in Exodus chapter 1. So it's important that you understand again that what the timeline is as we come out of Genesis and on into Exodus. Then verse 8 says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Now let's pause there again briefly. Because what's the big deal about knowing Joseph? Why was it so important for that statement to be recorded here in the book of Exodus? 
this new king, this new pharaoh seemed to, could have cared less, right, about Joseph. He, did, he didn't really care. But we know from our study in Genesis just how important Joseph was to the land of Egypt. He was not an Egyptian. He was from the family of Israel, but he saved that land from a huge famine, and he saved many people because he was a man of God, and he was a man of wisdom, as we study. He sought God in his life. And God gave him that interpretation, if you remember, of Pharaoh's dream. And this interpretation saved the land and all of its people. But time has gone by, and time tends to cause people to forget the importance of the past or to forget the importance of the people of the past. And that's what this king is doing here, this new Pharaoh. The nation of Egypt once had favor upon it because a man of God was in charge there. Now, as I look at these verses and as I studied them, it was hard for me not to think about our own nation, the United States of America a nation that was once founded upon godly principles, once founded upon the Word of God. But today, our nation has seemed to forgotten the past, right? And we seem to have strayed and are continuing to stray further and further from these foundational principles of the Bible. A nation that once had the favor of God upon it, but a nation that now seems to have forgotten the work of the hand of God. And that is what we see happening here in Egypt in chapter 1 of Exodus. This new king, again, he could care less about the past. And this will, will not make God happy. This guy should have remembered what God did for them through that man, Joseph. Verse 9 continues and says, And he said to his people, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply and it happen in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us and so go up out of the land. Now, it is said that in this time that the Egyptians were fearing an attack from the Hittite people that lived to the north of them. And the Pharaoh is concerned here because This people of Israel has grown so strong and and so mighty in number that he feared that they might join with their enemies in attacking them, right? So Pharaoh here wants to somehow eliminate some of these people. He wants to cut back on the population growth, right? But what has taken place here in Egypt is that God is using this place. He's using Egypt as a womb of sorts, right? You see, within the borders of Egypt during this time, there, there, there were being born millions of Hebrews, millions of the Israelites. And the thing was here that it is also said of Egypt at that time that they were very racist against the Israelites, And you'll see that by the way they treat them. We can see that by the way they treat them, right? Um, They despise them, but God used this to their advantage. God used this to the Israelites' advantage because they were able to 
grow ethnically pure while they were there because they were not intermarrying with the Egyptians because the Egyptians wanted nothing to do with them. So they were just growing as one group of people amongst themselves, within themselves, right? So they were growing both strong in number and they were growing strong in purity as a race of people. So this Pharaoh thinks here that he's doing this people harm. But we will see that, is, that he is actually aiding in strengthening them. It's actually the opposite is taking effect. They're becoming stronger and stronger through what he's doing. So, but the story continues, though, and we'll see, you'll see what I'm talking about. It says, therefore, they set taskmaster masters over them to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pithom, and Ramses. So Pithom and Ramses were just two of the cities that the Israelites as slaves worked on to, to become strong cities for them. They afflicted them with their burdens. They said, this is what we need done. You guys are slaves. You're going to do the work. You're going to build all this. So again, he, why, why is the Pharaoh doing this? Well, he's concerned that they're growing so strong. He wants to cut back on that. He wants to eliminate some of this population. But what does verse 12 say? It says, but the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were in dread of the children of Israel. So again, this new king, this new Pharaoh, had made a huge mistake in forgetting the past favor of God upon the people of Israel. Because he forgot Joseph. He didn't know Joseph. Joseph didn't matter to him. But Joseph was the one whom God used to save that land in the first place. But you know, Isaiah 54, 17 speaks of the Jewish people when it says that no weapon formed against you will prosper. That's what the Lord God said to them, that no weapon formed against you will prosper. And that is surely the case here in these verses that we're studying. The more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. Have you ever noticed that kind of thing in your own life? Do you ever look back on times in your life where you've struggled in one way or another and you find out that during that time you actually grew stronger in one way, shape, or form? I know I have. I can truly look back on times when people have meant harm to me, but, it all, but all that it proved to do was to make things better for me. What was meant for evil turned out for good. And I can truly now say that I count all of those times as joy because of the final outcome of it. Okay, And you know, this is the case for the person that seeks God in their lives today. If you trust Him each and every day, you can rest assured that even if and when trouble times come, because they will. God will get you through it. And while doing so, you'll become stronger in the process. Through faith in Jesus Christ today, we become children of God. And our God is a good Father that takes care of His children. But again, it starts with a person coming to faith in Jesus Christ in the first place. And though it may not always seem to, to work out the way our fleshly minds think that it should, and often that's the case, 
we may say, why is this happening this way? I don't understand this. This doesn't make sense. But nonetheless, God promises that he works all things together for good for those that love him. Okay? And again, as you often hear me quote, our thoughts are not his thoughts. Our ways are not his ways. His ways are much higher than ours. And as we read this story here, God has a plan for his people. He wanted them to grow strong and pure, but in order to do so, they needed to be where they were at this point in time. And again, this Pharaoh meant this for evil against the children of Israel. But God is using it for something good. This is exactly what we saw Joseph had said to his brothers regarding what his brothers did to him. Do you remember that? Joseph said, you meant this for evil, but God has worked it out for good. They meant it for evil when they cast him into the pit and when they sold him into slavery. But what was the ultimate outcome for Joseph? He was exactly where God needed him to be, do it all, and he recognized that. You know, I think this is an appropriate time for us to look at these scriptures again, scriptures I have brought up with you in the past. But let's mark this page and turn to the New Testament book of James, toward the back of your Bibles, just past the book of Hebrews. James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Again, it's right past the book of Hebrews. And we'll just start reading in verse 2. So James 1, 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Okay, now listen. Right from the start of a trial, right from the very beginning of a difficult time in your life, there is something that you can know right away. If you have surrendered your life to the will of God, and that's a big part of what I'm saying here, this morning. That's the foundation of it, right? If you, because if you're some half-hearted Christian, just some church-going, casual Christian, then don't expect this to be true for you. But if you are born again, totally submitted to following the Lord, then right at the beginning of a trial, you can know that something good is going to come out of it. Right off the bat, the first good thing that comes out of a trial is patience. Because immediately you have to begin to wait on God because it's beyond your control. And you have to begin to trust in Him for His will to be done. And this takes time because God is working out something that leads to perfection in your life in one way, shape, or form. He's got a plan. He's got something He's doing. He's perfecting you in one way or another. And the plans of God have a finish line, but it takes time to get there. And the thing is, is it's not always in our timing, is it? It's in His timing. It's in in His way that He's doing it, but it's good. And through each and every trial, we can use that trial to allow God to make us stronger. He may not have caused the trial, Just like this Pharaoh setting taskmasters over the children of Israel and causing them to be slaves, this was meant for evil. 
and it was perpetrated by the Egyptians. But God, through the process of time, will work this out for good. They were multiplying. They were becoming stronger. Okay? And they were becoming purer as a race of people. And God wants us to be both strong and pure. He wants us to be in this world, but not of this world. The children of Israel were in Egypt, but not of Egypt. They didn't mix in with with those people. They, they, They remained pure. They remained separate from them. They were simply growing strong while they were in Egypt, and this was God's plan. When the Egyptians tried to come against the people of God, God still worked it out for good. And we'll see that more as we go along. But again, it took time. So we need patience in trials. Patience as we grow in the Lord. Because as was the case with the Hebrews here, God is using the outward circumstances imposed on them to work out something good in their lives. And oftentimes that's what happens with us. Now remember, both Jacob and Joseph, if you remember at the end of of, uh, Genesis, both Jacob and Joseph prophesied that this people would not remain in Egypt. They they both said, you're getting out of here. And when you get out of here, take my bones out of here too. Because Joseph said, I don't want to be here. Because he wasn't, uh, that wasn't his place either, even though he was used by God there, right? He wanted to get out of there. But it it probably sure seemed to them as if they were never going to get out of there. Again, 430 years have gone by since Joseph and Jacob prophesied that. So they're probably thinking, when, God? When? But they're not a people that have given up on God in 430 years. See, you and me as born-again followers of Jesus Christ... We have somewhere else we're going as well. But in the meantime, we're here. And in the meantime, we need patience to endure through through this life. Patience to continue in the faith and not give up. Not give up walking by faith. Again, we're talking about 430 years. So we're talking about generations of people that died and their children. Then generations died and then their children were born, right? Do we pass this legacy on to our children, our faith in Jesus Christ? Is our faith that strong in our lives today that it's going to get passed on to our children? That if the Lord doesn't return in our lifetime, and He doesn't return in their lifetime, and He doesn't return in their children's children's lifetime, will we still have a remnant of people from from us that are walking by faith? That's what we see with the Israelites. But the world was against them. Egypt was against them. And times got tough and times got harder and harder. And verse 4 here in James, I'm still in James. Verse 4 says, But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So that verse there indicates that it's easy to bail out. It's easy to throw in the towel when in the midst of a trial. But we need to keep going. We need to press on to perfection, understanding and knowing that God is working something in us. From a spiritual standpoint, God doesn't want us lacking. He wants us to continue in the faith and to become stronger and stronger. But what is it that we have need of to get through a trial? 
Sometimes there is some form of help that we need. And verse 5 tells us what we need. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives liberally without reproach, and it will be given to him. You see, when we are going through trials in this world, we need to call out to God in prayer, to seek Him in prayer, and sometimes fasting, and ask Him for wisdom to see and to understand what He's doing. What does He want us to do during this particular time in our lives? You see, if you're not a person that has made a habit in your life to seek God constantly, then you won't have wisdom when the trials arise, right? We can look at the pages of Scripture and see the ways that God worked on behalf of His people. That's why the Scriptures are written. The Bible says they're written for our learning, that we can look back and see this is what God does. This is how God works. This is what God thinks. This is what God has established. And we then establish our lives upon what is written and what God has shown us, right? And again, it wasn't to them always in a manner that appeared best to them the way God was doing things. But God was always working something out for their good. And He is for us as well. So as we flip back to Exodus chapter 1, this was by no stretch of the imagination an easy time in the lives of the children of Israel. Oh, how nice it would have been if Pharaoh, this new Pharaoh, would have just remembered the goodness of the past. If he would have just have remembered how God worked through that one man, Joseph. But that wasn't the case. It didn't work out that way. So the children of Israel are being afflicted. And in verse 13, it continues and says, So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage, in mortar, in brick, and in all manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. So the Egyptian taskmasters weren't just, this wasn't some easy thing. They weren't just having the Jews go out and get them coffee, right? (laughs) Here, go run this errand for me. Here, hey, why don't you scratch my back, right? It wasn't that kind of stuff, man. They were, they were beating these people. They were extremely making them work hard, hard labor. And again, they feared, why were they doing this? They feared the number of the Jews that were living in their midst. So I'm sure that through this hard labor, they were hoping that they would decrease the population, kill some of them off, but it wasn't working. So they needed another plan. And verse 15 says, Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of whom the name of one was Shiphrah and the name of the other Puha. And he said, When you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. So if you kill the male child, this group of people won't grow anymore, right? This was a form of population control. Today, we have other forms of population control, don't we? Aborting babies today kills and helps to keep the population under control. Babies are aborted. The most aborted baby in America is the African-American baby. 
Abortion in this sense is used as a form of controlling the population, right? It's a horrible thing. It's a pathetic thing. It's sad. And the party and our political parties in control today are strong supporters of this kind of thing. Another way to avoid the growth of a population today is through the promotion of homosexuality. You see, homosexuals can't procreate. They can't have children themselves. And our government today is a supporter of this as well. And now they want to begin, it's already started in Washington State, they want to begin to teach our children in the public schools that maybe they really aren't what they appear to be. Hey, little boy, maybe you're a girl on the inside, right? If they can get little boys and little girls to be taught in school this kind of thing, when they grow up, they won't have children either. And the population can be controlled in this manner as well. And there's something else that this kind of instruction will teach the kids as well. It teaches them that God made a mistake, that God gave them the wrong body parts, that they're really not who they appear to be. God made a mistake. Or maybe they can grow up and think, well, there's no God and there's no absolutes. There's no moral absolutes. There's no truth. So you can be whatever you feel like you are. If you feel like you're a woman today, be a woman today. If you feel like you're a man today, be a man today. This is the way a sick nation is going. This is a way a nation is going that has forgotten God, that has forgotten the work of God in our lives and in our history, right? And again, these Egyptians were against these Israelites, And they're trying to control the population. They don't like, remember, that's what this stems from. Keep that in mind. They didn't like how they were growing and multiplying. That was the problem, right? But what the Egyptians didn't count for is that these were God's people. And God still had a plan. And he was still going to work through this people. And it wasn't going to work out the way the Egyptians wanted it to. We today, as a godly people, need to work and to live the way that God wants us to, the way that is found in the pages of the Holy Bible. We need to pray and to live in such a way that is contrary to the world around us, keeping ourselves holy, keeping ourselves separate, not mixing in with it. And of course, as born-again Christians, we would go out and as Americans too, right? We, could, we can vote in such a manner that demonstrates not a loyalty to a political party, but rather a loyalty to the Word of God. See, what do you stand on? Do you stand on a loyalty to a political party today? Or do you stand on a loyalty to the Word of God? What should we stand upon as Christians? We need to be wise, and we need to have our eyes open to what our government officials are doing And we need to use our influence toward righteousness in our land. We we are not a people who forget what God has done, or at least we shouldn't be. Even if our nation does, even if our neighbors do, we are a people that stands upon the word of God as followers of Christ. So this was another plan here of the Pharaoh. Will this population control thing work here? Well, verse 17 says, But the midwives feared God 
and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. Think of how strong they had to be to do that. Think of what could have happened to them in disobeying the Pharaoh. But these midwives feared God. Verse 18, so the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. Therefore, God dealt with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very mighty. And so it was because the midwives feared God that he provided households for them. So we need to take very careful note to what we see happening here in these verses. The male children were being born because the midwives refused to kill them because they feared God. Do you see how they said that the Hebrew women were more lively than the Egyptian women? They were using this as an excuse to Pharaoh that before the midwives could get there, the child was already born. So what do you see out of that? Well, they couldn't kill the child after it was born. And after he or she, after the child was in the arms of the mother, right? they were supposed to kill the male child before the mother was holding the baby. And if you think about it, this is what abortion does today. The mother never sees the life of the child, so it supposedly doesn't have any effect on her. The murder of the child occurred before the child was born, so we can just turn a blind eye to that kind of sin. Kill the baby, throw it away, without the mother ever seeing it. Problem solved. But in the case of abortion, pregnancy is not the problem. Fornication is the problem. The sin of fornication leads to the sin of murder in the case of abortion. But we just act like it's no big deal. And the former once pregnant mother can now just go and return again to her life of fornication. Sex outside of marriage, just keep going. Just keep doing it. But as it relates to the Hebrews here, this was not going to stop the plan of God. God was still going to work. This people grew. And these midwives that feared God and would not perform these post-birth abortions, as a result of that, God blessed them. He blessed this people. You see, I'm harping on this today, but our politicians today that legislate all of this immorality will not escape the day of judgment. Hell awaits all of those that do this kind of evil in the sight of God? The answer, of course, for them and the answer for everyone is repentance and to turn our lives over to the living God and to His will. This is the answer to all of the the sin that plagues mankind. So, the Egyptians, they had a plan A and it did not stop the children of Israel. It didn't stop them from growing Uh, strong and pure, nor did plan B. So Pharaoh is now going to try plan C. Verse 22. So Pharaoh commanded all his people saying, every son who is born you shall cast into the river and every daughter you shall save alive. So who did he command? All his people. Now everybody's involved. 
You're walking down the street. You see a, a baby boy, Hebrew. Ain't nothing's going to happen to you. You just take him and cast him in the water. Cast him in the river. Just get rid of him. Just discard him. Then verse 1 of chapter 2 says, And a man of the house of Levi went and took as a wife a daughter of Levi. Now remember, Levi was a son of Jacob's, right? A son of Israel's. But he's dead now. So when this speaks of a daughter of Levi, this is speaking of the descendants of Levi, the tribe of Levi, if you will. So this male descendant of Levi was taking a wife of the, a female wife of the tribe of Levi. Again, the Israelites were not intermarrying with the Egyptians. They were staying with their own people, right? Again, this race was staying pure in that sense. So the woman, verse 2, so the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. So again, why did she have to hide her male child? Because they would have cast him in the river if she did not. Verse 3, but when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, uh, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. So she makes a little boat, a little ark for this baby boy in attempt to save his life and keep him alive. Now, God once had a plan like that, didn't he? He made an ark and he used asphalt and he used pitch. He had Noah use all this stuff to save people alive, right? So I'm sure that she got this know-how to build this little floating device from the plans that God gave to Noah. And this little boy had at least one older sister that cared about his well-being because we're told here in verse 4, and his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Now how awesome is that? How awesome is the plan of God? Do you see what God has worked out here? The mother of this baby boy had the wisdom to make an ark to keep this baby safe. Again, remember, she's going through a trial. She has a beautiful baby boy. This baby boy is going to be killed, going to be cast into a river. And she's going through a trial. This is a difficult time. And what does she get? She gets wisdom from God. She gets wisdom from God to go through this. And God provided that the daughter of Pharaoh would be the one to find this baby boy. And all the while, the sister of this baby boy was off in a little distance, keeping watch over him. And as soon as she saw that Pharaoh's daughter had compassion for this child, the sister of the baby swoops in 
and ask a question, a suggestive question. She said, should I go and get a Hebrew woman that can nurse this child? So she goes and gets the baby's mother. Of course, it's her mother as well. And God gives these women wisdom here. And in the process, he is saving this baby boy because he has a purpose for the life of this baby boy. How many babies are aborted because a mother lacks the wisdom to know that a child is a creation of God and that that child should live? This baby's mom knew it, and so did this baby's sister. With all these baby boy Hebrews being born, God uses two women with wisdom to save this one child. The midwives were great women also, we saw, and they feared God. And you know, you women here today and and you godly women that are listening to this teaching, you should pass this kind of wisdom on to the people you know and have influence with. Young girls need to be brought up with the knowledge that God creates human lives. And again, we live in a world where evil leaders are legislating evil laws. But we are the children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And we need to live a life that legislates righteousness. Because when a law is passed that promotes sin, like we see happening in our government today, this is actually them legislating their own morality. They're legislating their morals, right? Even though God in His Word calls murder sin, their morality says it's okay to kill human DNA as long as it's still in the womb. Even though God's Word calls for procreation through one male and one female, they legislate gay marriage today, which will halt human reproduction in a family. Total bloodlines will be cut off as a result of it. But again, if you call yourself a Christian, then you are one that stands for what the Word of God legislates, not what politicians legislate. Right? You are not of a political party. You are of the kingdom of God. And you need to do the best that you can to vote against those that stand for what God is against. But this is just a plan here that unfolds to to save this little baby boy from death we see here. And then in verse 9 it continues, Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. So again, this baby boy is being nursed by his own mother. Because God believes that a mother should care for her child and not discard him. Verse 10, And the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, Because I drew him out of the water. So Pharaoh's daughter will now raise this child that has been nursed and kept alive by his mother. Pharaoh's daughter named him Moses, and she said that she did so because she 
drew him out of the water. That's what she named him, right? That was her reason. But God's going to use this child for a different kind of drawing out. This child, this child will draw his people out of slavery and back to the land that God has promised them. But he will be raised up in a king's palace. He will be the prince of Egypt. Oh, what can become of a child when it is simply allowed to live? Oh, what God can do to a child that is allowed to live. Verse 11, Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So take note to our timeline here because some time just flew by again, right? Moses is not a baby boy anymore. He's now all grown up in the story. And even though he had been raised in the house of the Egyptians, he still knows that he is a Hebrew. Also, just a quick note here. This is where the descendants of Israel are now going to be referred to as Hebrews. This is where we'll begin to see that word. I've been using it already this morning, but this is where you'll begin to see that word. But Moses, see the, he sees this beating taking place And this was not uncommon, I'm sure. He's going out to see the burdens of his people, right? They're they're slaves, and their slave masters, their taskmasters, are beating them, right? So this was no big deal, really, to beat a slave. But verse 12 says, So he looked this way and that way, and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. While Moses couldn't stand, to see one of his people being beaten and mistreated in this way. So he killed the man that was doing the beating. Right? Was this murder? Yeah, it was a murder. And and Moses was a sinner in need of a Savior, in need of deliverance, just like everyone else. But again, as we saw in the book of Genesis, we have a perfect God that works through an imperfect people. I said that a few different times as we were going through Genesis. God works with a bunch of cracked pots to accomplish His will. Verse 13, And when He went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And He said to the one who did the wrong, Why are you striking your companion? Then He said, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, Surely. This thing is known. So evidently Moses thought, well, maybe he got away with this. Maybe it was all buried in the sand and it wasn't going to be found out, right? But it wasn't the case. Verse 15, when Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and they filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. So what do we see about this man, Moses, already? He was a man that stood for justice, wasn't he? He couldn't stand to see people being mistreated, right? He stood up and protected 
these people time and time again, right? He, he sees these women being pushed around by some shepherd and he steps up and he helps them, right? This makes him a good man in his heart. It's ironic though that a man that is a man of justice is himself running from justice. Again, our thoughts are not God's thoughts. Our ways are not his ways. This is God's chosen man. We will see that fact as we go through the book of Exodus. God's plan for the life of Moses was far greater than Pharaoh's plan to kill Moses. And Pharaoh wanted Moses, he would have had his way. Pharaoh would have had Moses killed at birth because he was a baby boy born, right? But God's plan is always greater. So these girls have now been protected by Moses. And verse 18 says, When they came to Ruel, their father, he said, How is it that you have come so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds, and he also drew enough water for us and watered the flock. So he said to his daughters, And where is he? Why is it that you have left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. Then Moses was content to live with the man, and he gave Zipporah, his daughter, to Moses. So again, some time is passing by, and the details of Moses' life is unfolding. He is now living amongst this group of people that think he is an Egyptian. They don't seem to ask any personal questions of him here. He has favor with them, and he receives a wife from them. Verse 22 says, And she bore him a son, and he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. So many years of trials for the Hebrews. But help is on the way. God is raising up a deliverer. And we will read more about this in the coming weeks if the Lord tarries. Now I say if the Lord tarries because the fact of the matter is is that our deliverer is coming. Right? He's been here once to offer salvation to all of the world, not just one group of people, but whosoever will can now call on the name of the Lord and be saved. But today, you and me, we too can groan within ourselves. We can call out to God that he would deliver us from this perverse generation that we now live in. And we are called by God to pray for our land, to pray for our leaders, and to pray for righteousness, right? He will hear our cries. And someday our deliverer will come and he will get us. But you know, it seems as if today's Christianity isn't all too concerned with getting out of here. Today's Christianity is a twisted Christianity as it relates to the Bible. Many people that profess Christianity today still walk in the ways of immorality themselves, and they still support those that legislate immorality. But God knows who His people are and who really is not His people. Moses stood for the cause of his people. He stood for the cause of the weak, like these women at the well. And we too need to stand for the cause of the weak, the persecuted, 
the babies in the womb. And we need to stand upon the Word of God and reach out to a lost and dying world with the love of God because this is the answer. The love of God is the answer. Jesus said, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto Him. And if you're not a witness to Jesus, if you're not standing for the Word of God, well, then maybe you don't have the Holy Spirit. You see, as we talk about the immorality of abortion, and as we talk about the immorality of homosexuality, we must also understand that God loves these people and that He offers salvation to them as well. And they too can repent and turn to the Lord just as we have done in our lives. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but rather to save the world. You see, I don't want to be a Christian that walks around hating the homosexual or hating the person with this sin or that sin. Because God loves them. But there is a truth. And we can't throw out the truth. The truth is, all of us need to repent. Everybody needs to turn to God and be born again. Jesus said, you will not see the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. So everyone needs to repent. So the news that the homosexual needs, the news that the person that has the abortion needs, is that God loves them. And that God has a plan for them. And that God can work in their lives. But it does take repentance. person must repent. And if you are listening to this teaching, and you have had an abortion, or you're caught up in the sin of homosexuality, God loves you. My heart bleeds for the people caught up in sin because I was there. I was there. I was without Christ. I lived that life. If you're a person that's caught up in the sin of fornication, sex outside of marriage, God loves you. See, we're all sinners in one way, shape, or form. doesn't mean we all did what everyone else did, but the Bible lists many different things. It talks about a whisperer, a gossip, a backbiter, a person that's disobedient to their parents, a person that is proud, a person that is boastful. These are all sin. This is all sin that separates us from God. And we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And there's a world of lost and dying people that want to be accepted, but they want to be accepted for who they are, you know, externally or who they feel they are in their emotions, rather than realizing who they are that God created them to be. Creation is penned out for us. It's written out for us in the book of Genesis. God created one male, one female. He created them two to be together. That's the way God created things. There's all kinds of details of creation within the Bible. But people don't know it, right? And the answer is that a person must come to Jesus Christ. Must come and repent of their sin and be born again. And know... And he loves them. You see, God didn't make mistakes. He created all things, like I said, in the beginning. And when he created everything in the beginning, he said, this is good. When he created the man to be with the woman, he said, this is good. When he created everything the way it was, it was good. Right? And men and women procreate. They are to have babies, not kill them. And a man is to be a dad, to be a father. 
And a woman is to be a mother. There's no, crea- there's no confusion in God's creation. There was male and there was female. And they knew which each, each one of them were. Right? But what happened? What happened in the garden? Sin entered the picture. But Jesus Christ came. And he will cleanse us from all of our sin. And he will forgive us of our sin if we're willing to repent and to turn to him. Because again, all have sinned. I have sinned. You have sinned. And we all need a deliverer. And for the Hebrews, what we're studying about, their deliverer will be this man named Moses. He will deliver them from their physical bondage. They will still have spiritual bondage because of sin, but Moses will deliver them from their physical bondage. But you and me and all the people of the world today have a need for a deliverer that will deliver us from our spiritual bondage, the bondage of sin within us. And again, the answer is simple. The answer is repentance and come to Jesus Christ. God loves each and every person conceived in the womb. And God has a plan for that person that will turn to him. The person that will not live this life led by the flesh, but the person that desires to be led by the Spirit of God. Which way will you choose? Will you go with the spirit of the world that just legislates and justifies more and more immorality? Or will you go with the way of the word and repent and be filled with the Spirit of God? One way or another, the Deliverer is coming. And how will He find us when He comes? What will He find you doing when He returns? Where will He find your heart? Will you have been repentant and turned unto Him? Or will you still be in your sin when He returns? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You again for Your Holy Word. Thank You for Your Holy Spirit your comforter, the counselor who teaches us, who indwells us as we walk by faith in you. I pray, Lord, that you will pour out your spirit upon us, Lord, that we that are here today and those that are hearing this message would turn to you with all of our hearts, that we would examine ourselves and see where we are in the faith and even if we are in the faith at all. How, serious do, how seriously do we take your word, God? Have we allowed ourselves to be caught up in the ways of the world? The ways of a political party, the ways of a certain movement, or the ways of our entertainment in this world, Lord. And all of these things that can distract us from the truth. God, I pray that as your spirit works through your word and even through what we have heard this morning, God, I I pray that, that we would not harden our hearts, that we would just surrender more of our lives to you, Lord. Lord, when you walked on this earth, people were attracted to you. The sinners and the wine bibbers, it says, they all came to hang out with you, but you gave them the truth and you gave it to them in love. Lord, your love has brought truth into our hearts and into our minds, and it is working within us to change us in our innermost being. And Lord, may we not be a people that throws stones at others, 
but may we just be a people that loves them, Lord. We have, to, we have to stand, we have to point out what sin is, yes. But we also have to remember where we came from, that we're all lost without you. So thank you for your love, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, as we go forth into another week, your will to be done in our hearts. We pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.